Okay, guys, what I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at the final four verses. And what we're going to talk about today, uh, I, I think is really important because for some of you, you might be shocked by what Paul's going to talk about today. Actually, you know, as I think about it, okay, so I've been a believer, so we're coming up on April, April 1985, third, third Tuesday in April in 1985, I don't remember the exact date, I just know it was April the third Tuesday, is when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, okay, so that was 1985, here we are, 36, going to be 36 years later, and in those earlier years, while I knew I had Christ and while I was developing in my relationship with him, I, I had this concept, and it was a concept that was communicated in church. It wasn't just any one church. I think all churches communicate this concept of that as, as a Christian, you're supposed to do certain things to maintain your acceptance with God because that's ultimately the reason why we do stuff. We ultimately do stuff because we want God to accept us. I think if, if we're all honest with ourselves this morning, that is a priority with us because we know how much we need the Lord and we want to feel that he accepts us because we know that when we do wrong, we feel like he doesn't accept us anymore. And so we try to do what's right. Now the problem is, well... The problem is, we're actually living a sad reality. Well, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to give you two thoughts here, okay? So just kind of bear with me because you're going to see what I'm going to talk about here in a moment. Here's the first thing I want you to see. For many believers, what they believe and how they live is a paradox. What they believe... And how they live is a paradox. What are you talking about, George? What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean a paradox? Well, let me give you a definition of a paradox, okay? Here, here's the definition of, of a paradox that is uh, accepted. It is a, should be on your screen there, let me show it to you. It is a statement that despite apparently valid reasoning from true premises, leads to a seemingly self-contradictory or a logically unacceptable conclusion. All right, that, that's, what, what does that mean in everyday talk, George? Well, it's saying that you believe a truth, but yet you've drawn an illogical or wrong conclusion which manifests itself some other way. And for many of us as believers, and I've been there, we live a paradox. We're a paradox. What do you mean, George? Break it down a little bit further. Okay, so here's the paradox. All right, so I'm going to give you a truth statement. Tell me if you agree with this. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He paid the ultimate penalty 
with God for your sins because you could do nothing for acceptance with God. Does everybody agree with that? And when you get saved, it's because you know that he did it all for you. You could do nothing for it on your own. So you accepted what he did by faith. Everybody agree with that? That's the truth premise. Now here's the paradox. While we believe that, we live our lives as if it's not true. What do you mean, George? Because we live our lives by regulations and rules that we believe we must complete in order for acceptance with God. Do you understand what I'm saying now? We believe one thing, but yet we live a completely different way. We believe there's nothing we can do for the salvation, right? We believe there's nothing we can do for the salvation, but illogically we have decided that somehow we have to do certain things in order to maintain it, to keep it. Well, we don't believe you can lose your salvation, George. No, no. To keep the acceptance. And it comes out of our lives. In fact, here, here's what I want you to see. Sadly, they are blind to the reality of the contradiction in their lives. For most people, they just don't see it. For most people, they don't see the contradiction. If you were to say to them the first truth, truth statement about salvation having nothing to do with you, having to do with, your, with Jesus, everybody would agree with it. Yes. But then when you talk about the reality that they're living a contradictory life and how they live their life because they're living their lives by rules and regulations and they want to just keep coming up with them, they don't see it. They don't see how that's a contradiction, but it is. And that's the point that Paul's going to be making today in verses 20 to 23. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest with you, as I think back through 30-some years of, of being a believer and being in church just like you were, are, you know, for 10 years before I became a, a pastor myself, I don't recall a message from this passage. But it's there. Because he's actually calling you and I to something different, to a different type of life. What kind of type of life? A life that is based on a relationship with Jesus, not based upon what you're doing. Well, isn't it important that we do the right things? Yes, but you do the right things out of the relationship, not for the relationship. Do you understand? There's a difference. You do the right things out of the relationship because you're in love with Jesus and you see him interacting in your life. So therefore, you are going to do the things that will promote that relationship. But how we operate in church today, and I've been there, is that we've reduced Christianity down to a set of rules to keep. And those rules change depending upon which church you go to. And I think you understand that, right? In fact, it isn't just 
what church you go to, it's what area of the country you live in. So let me give you an example. One of the big things, I'm from the South. I'm from South Carolina, and uh, my dad's from Eastern North Carolina. Eastern North Carolina in particular, one of their cash crops, are you ready for this, is tobacco. In fact, when I was a young boy and I wasn't doing right, my daddy used to threaten to send me with my relatives for the summer to prime tobacco, meaning work in a tobacco field. Now, I would smarten up until school started because I knew as long as that threat was there, I didn't want to go do that. But, okay, so in North Carolina, they smoke cigarettes. And cigarette smoking is okay at the churches down there. Now, I'll tell you what's not okay. Swimming. Mixed bathing, they called it. Guys swimming with girls. Now, you come up north here, smoking's not okay in churches, but let's go have a pool party. Do you see what I'm talking about? See, we live with a concept of Christianity being a set of rules, but those set of rules change depending on where you are and who the church is and who the pastor is. So Paul's going to talk about that today. He's going to talk about that you and I need to go to something different, but you've got to understand the trap, because he's been warning us. Remember, we talked about this last week. Don't let anybody cheat you. Don't, don't let anyone guide you in the wrong way. He's got to help you to understand that there's more to the Christian life than doing, and he's going to break it down for you and I today. So let's take a look at what he says here. Look with me at verse 20. It'll be up on the screen for you. Here's what he says. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations. Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. All right, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these four verses, and we're going to, you know, here's what I've done for many years. I breathe through Colossians, and I just kind of like, oh yeah, breeze through and move on to chapter 3. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a few moments today and talk about exactly what is he saying in verses 20 to 23 and how it is important for you to understand. So first thing we're going to see here is a contradiction. We're going to see that in verses 20 and 21. And then we're going to see the bondage. And let me just go ahead and tell you, I've lived in this bondage. And it's a common bondage for most believers to find themselves in. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the contradiction. Here's what he says in verse 20. He's asking a question. 
Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. All right, so here's what I want you to see. First thing I want you to see is this. Having died with Christ, you've been set free from the bondage of doing. You've been set free from the bondage of doing. Now remember, he is talking in this letter to a church that's primarily Jewish. And for the Jew, their lives were bound by what? Anybody know what their lives were bound by? What they had to adhere to? The law, right? And for the Jew, the law was pretty specific. No pork. So no hot Italian sausages, folks. Keeping the Sabbath, the Saturday, free of work. Not doing things, not being here, not doing that. So their, their lives were, were governed by a system of regulation, which if we can remember, listen, remember Peter at the Jerusalem council when they were trying to decide if Gentiles needed to keep the law, he basically said, folks, we can't even keep it ourselves. Why are we wanting to impose it on others? So here's the thing. When you come to Jesus, you've been set free from the bondage of doing. You've been set free from the bondage of doing something for the acceptance of God. Because I'll be honest with you, let's, let's just be honest. They couldn't keep the law perfectly. And, 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 the, and the law itself says you, you break one law, you break the whole law. So here we are, we're, we're saved. We believe there's nothing we can do for salvation. And we keep going back to wanting to keep the law. But you've been set free from that. That's what he's saying. He starts out, if you've been set free, you've, if you have died, if the old you is a new you now, why are you doing this? So that brings up my second point I want you to see here. Yet you continue to subject yourself to that bondage. You continue to subject yourself to that bondage. Have you ever said something like this? You ever had a busy week? I don't think anybody here has a busy week, right? You ever have a week where things get totally out of control? And, and it's like you're trying to rein it in. you got this crisis and that crisis and this family disturbance and this work problem, and you're just trying to get it all. And have you noticed that sometimes, especially if you're faithful and having your devotions with Jesus, you're just struggling to get out of bed in the morning? And, and so maybe you go a week without reading your Bible. How about you go a week without even praying? Yeah. And then you start thinking these kind of thoughts. Lord, forgive me. Don't hold it against me. I'll get back on track. What's going on there? 
You're talking about a relationship with the living God. Do you not think he knows what your week was like? Do you not think he knows the chaos and the troubles that are coming into your life? But yet you feel that somehow he still demands that you spend that time with him reading your Bible and praying? He was with you the whole time. And to be honest, I, I kind of think, because I've reflected on my life, even in the times when I've missed having my personal devotion, I still talk to God throughout the day anyhow. You find yourself doing that. How's, do you see what I'm saying? Because there's a relationship there. So even though we've been set free, here's the contradiction. We, we continue to, su to subject ourselves to bondage. To living in tyranny. And, and I'll be honest with you, the biggest enemy of your life is Satan. He wants you to live in that tyranny. He wants you to view your relationship with Jesus based upon a whole list of things that you should and shouldn't do. In fact, here, here's what I want you to see. The bondage of doing regulates every aspect of your life. The bondage of doing regulates every aspect of your life. Now, let me just stop for a moment because you're like, well, does that mean I can do whatever I want to? Hold on. Hold on. There are things that God says to you directly don't do. I'm not talking about those. But you don't find in your Bible anywhere where it says, thou shalt have devotions each day. You won't find that verse. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? You're, you're not going to find that verse. Or thou shalt dress this way. Or thou shalt do this. Th those, those don't exist. But we, we, we could sit here and we could spend all day if we wanted to. It would be pretty boring to think about the stuff that we feel that church tells us to do. And a lot of it, can I be honest with you, a majority of it, probably more than 90% of it, isn't even in the scripture. And so what do we do? We, we subject ourselves to the bondage of doing, which tries to regulate every area of our lives. And so can I be honest with you? God becomes, let's be honest, well, here's what God becomes. A taskmaster. Your concept of God is that God is simply somebody who demands Nothing but obedience from you. And does God want obedience? Yes. To his commands. Yes, he does want that. But do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So, but he's our heavenly father. When you, when you are parenting a child, you want your child to be obedient to your word. That doesn't mean you cease loving them and you cease having a relationship with them, Right? That doesn't mean you become the taskmaster. Now, if you ask the child, they would say, yeah, my dad's a taskmaster, you know. But that's not how you're viewing it. You're viewing it out of love to groom them and mold them. So the bondage of doing regulates 
your whole life. And so here's what he's saying. You live your life by the contradiction of don't touch, don't taste, don't do. And for the Colossians, it was a very real thing because here they are, they were living in a world, they're Gentiles, most of them among them in the church are, are Jews, and then they're being told, don't eat that sausage. Why are you working on Saturday? Do you see the contradiction? The paradox? And let's be honest, you and I are living that paradox, and we've got to stop. Here's why you have to stop, because I'm going to, he basically lays out what the problem is with the bondage. We see it in verses 22 and 23. Look with me at verse 22 and 23. Here's the problem with the bondage. He's talking about the bondage here. Which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. All right, three points here. Here's the first one. The bondage of doing is focused on man-made rules that will one day perish. The bondage of doing is focused on man-made rules that will one day perish. That's what he's saying here. One day, all of these regulations that we impose on each other in a church or whatever are one day going to perish. They're going to be purely meaningless. Meaningless. So, okay, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, okay? So, you know, we're pretty casual here at our church as far as our dress. We don't tell you to dress up for Jesus here, okay? And uh, we've been that way for a while. Now, what I, you know, April 1st, I'll be here 20 years, April 1st is my 20th anniversary here. I have a picture that somebody took of me when I came here. I was wearing a suit. Some of you can remember back then, George used to wear a suit back then. I only wear suits now to funerals and weddings, okay? But I'm pretty casual, but I hear all the time from people, I have discussions, not within our church, from outside of our church, arguing with me about, you got to dress up for Jesus. If you were going to go see the president... You would dress up. And yes, folks, if I got it, whoever the president is, if I got an invitation to go visit the president, I would wear a suit. So would you. And if you're a lady, you would wear some kind of suit or whatever. You would dress up to go see. But I'm not going to the president. I'm going to Jesus, who, by the way, the word says, doesn't look on the outward appearance of man. God's word says that. What does he look at? Your heart. And so when Paul comes along and says, the bondage of doing is focused on man-made rules that will one day perish. You know what, folks? One day when we go to be with Jesus, the whole dress issue isn't even going to make a difference anymore, is it? Because we're all going to be clothed in white. 
whatever that looks like. It's not going to matter. This is the point. So you think about the regulations that we impose on ourselves. One day, they're, they're just going to become meaningless. And that's what happens with man-made rules. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The bondage of doing has the superficial appearance of spiritual wisdom. I think we understand that one, right? Look, think about how we judge people about where they're at in their relationship with Jesus. I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if they're walking with the Lord. What do we look at? What they're doing. That's what we look at, right? We look at what they're doing. And, and I've, I've seen, can I be honest with you, I've been around a long time now. I can remember years ago when I was a young man and I wasn't yet a pastor, but even then this thought occurred to me because we were talking about people who would come to Christ. And, and, and you have different people who come to Christ. They come to Christ at different places in their life. And so you have a drunk who comes to Christ. And so he's got an addiction issue with alcohol. So guess what he's going to struggle with, guys? Alcohol. Guess what he's going to, in that struggle, fall to occasionally? Alcohol. And I've watched the church write people off. Well, they obviously aren't walking with the Lord. They don't care. They're doing that. Well, wait, wait a minute. Because they fell to alcohol again? They're trying to overcome that. But yet in the same church, there's five or six gossips who've been gossiping for 40 plus years who continue to fall to that every week, but they're doing okay because they don't drink. Did, did you understand? Or they can answer Bible questions. And they know their doctrine. See, it's all based upon looking at the outward appearance of what you're doing. And so you have this aura, and you've met people like that in church, that they, because they're doing all the right stuff, they have the appearance of what? Well, let me tell you what Paul describes it as. Here's what he says. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, and look at what it says, in self-imposed religion. Where did it come from? Stuff that they decided to do. And what does it say here? False humility and the neglect of the body. The bondage of doing has the superficial appearance. But see, that's how we are wired, isn't it? That's how we're wired in our culture. That's how we're wired from the moment we drew our first breath as we were born. We've been told what to do the whole way along. 
We've been told this is what you do if you're going to be good and this is what it means when you're bad. And so this is what you do that's good at work and this is what's bad and here's the procedures and you need to follow the procedures. And if you're playing a sport, here's the rules that you have to adhere to when you're playing the sport. And if you get outside of those rules, you just can't do what you want to do in a sport, then you're wrong and you're out of the game. And this is our whole life, right? And that's how we're used to doing things. But now you come to Christianity and its real sense of it being a religion. And we can't just grasp, what do you mean it's not about what I do and don't do? Because we're used to that. I once spoke to a group of pastors in a conference and I was teaching a bunch of young pastors and an older pastor, a wiser pastor, but someone who was caught up in this bondage thing came to me afterwards and says, look, you need to quit telling them the different viewpoints of this for them to wrestle with this. You just need to tell them what they need to do. And why, why, why is that? Because they're viewing Christianity as doing let's be honest christianity isn't doing christianity is jesus and the relationship you can have with him and being honest and talking with him so then that brings us to the ultimate reality here is the dirty little secret about the doing look with me at what paul says here and you'll understand what he says when I explain it to you. Verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body. But, that's a big word, are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. All right, so let me just stop for a moment. I want everybody to, to resonate with what I'm saying here. So I want you to think about your life. I want you to focus on you. Don't think about the guy next to you or the gal next to you. Think about you. All right? Think about the thing that you struggle with. Whatever it is. For everybody, it's going to be a different thing. You struggle with something. Now, here's what our tendency is, is we try to control those desires by regulation. But here's what Paul's saying. Ultimately, the bondage of doing has no effect on controlling your desires. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? The bondage of doing has no effect on controlling your desires. Are you sure he said that, George? Look at what he says here. He says, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. See, here's the thing. You can control who you are and what you're doing by regulation. But the fact is, is you may not be doing the, quote, wrong thing, but you're still desiring it. So when I go on a diet and I'm controlling my cheeseburger intake and I've stopped 
hitting McDonald's doesn't mean the desire for a cheeseburger isn't still there. Did you understand what I'm saying? Think about all that we do in Christianity and, and we're imposing on ourselves. It doesn't deal with the desire. Now you say, okay, George, what deals with the desire? Here it is. Jesus. He deals with it. He changes you. You go to him. You struggle with him. This is the reality. And he slowly changes your character. Because, I'll be honest with you, he wants you to view your Christian life completely different than the way it is right now. He wants you to view it as new. The ability to say no to the desires because you have Jesus. Not because you're imposing a law on yourself. Did you understand what I'm saying? I'm hoping that this will free some of you from the defeat you've been living in because you can't keep the doing on an active level. So what do we do with this? So how do we wrap this up? Well, next week we get into chapter 3 and he's going to move beyond... He's going to move beyond telling you what not to do. He's going to move beyond telling you to, to turn away from a, a way that is actually defeating. He's going to start with chapter 3 to talk about what you need to do to live the life that Jesus wants you to live. So we're going to talk about that next week. But in order for that to sink in, you've got to make a decision. And so here's, here's the final point that I've been making for ever since we started going through this letter. Here it is. You have to decide to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. That's reality. You have to decide to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. Did you understand what I'm saying? You've got to come to a place where you realize, you know what? This is the most important thing in my life is walking with you, Lord. So like, okay, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So this morning, I have something I want God to do. I don't need to tell you what it is. I've got this thing I want God to do. But here's what I do. I've been wrestling with what I want with God. How do I, what do you mean wrestle with him? Well, I, I've been saying to him, God, I want you to do this. I want you to take care of this. God, provide for this issue. But then I've had to go beyond just simply asking to think about why do you want it, George? So I've been talking with him. Well, you know, Lord, if you do this, it will take care of this problem. But then I'm like, okay, but really, George, what, why do you want this? And so then I had to come to the place of saying, God, maybe my motives are wrong. And so I had to admit that with him. And come to the place of saying, Lord, it's in your hands. I need you to do this, but do it in spite of me. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to be vague with what I'm talking about. But that, that's the kind of relationship where you go to him and you talk it through with him. It's kind of like a human relationship when, you, when you're like in a family situation and you're talking about, okay, let's talk about buying a car. You just, if you're married, you just don't go out and buy a car. You've got to talk to your spouse about it, right? If you don't, it might create some problems, you know. 
but you, you talk to each other and you work through why is this the time to do that. It's the same thing with the Lord. That's a relationship. That's a whole new way of doing something. Because for most of us, well, Lord, I've been doing the right thing. Really? How does that work in your human relationships? I've been doing the right thing. Can't you do this? That doesn't work. So you really need to start getting serious about your relationship. And what does that mean? Spending time with him. Well, you just said, don't be regulated by devotions and stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Spend time with him. Talk with him. Read his word to get to know him. But don't do it for the relationship. You do it because of the relationship. There's a difference. And my hope is, is that you'll see that. Let me pray for you.